What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. As always, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to tune in and listen. I do pray regularly for each and every one of you. Um, if you're interested, would like to do so, you can always follow along on social media, put out daily posts on uh, Facebook at Christopher B. Miller, um, Instagram, PC Speaking, TikTok, the same thing. Um, would certainly appreciate to, to uh, the opportunity to connect with you there as well. Well, this is our second week in our study of types and shadows and types and shadows. Uh, this is a topic that helps us better understand the connectivity between the Old and the New Testament sometimes. Um, I suppose many of us don't really understand that or see it, but as we study these types and shadows in the Old and New Testament and connect them together, one of our goals is to gain confidence in, in Bible knowledge. Uh, better understanding of our Bible, and not just to gain knowledge, but a working knowledge that helps us talk about and be more confident in how we handle Scripture, how we talk about Scripture, and ultimately how we talk about Jesus with other people. And it also helps us see that everything in the Bible has purpose. When we look at these types, shadows, different stories, everything in the Bible is there for a reason, and everything in the Bible matters. I don't believe there's anything in there that's unnecessary or wasted, there are many, many stories, people, and events in the Bible, and they all hold profound significance. They're all there for a reason. They all have purpose, and it's good for us to remember that as we look at our Bible and read it. And today we're talking about the Passover from the Old Testament. Um, it may be something that some of you are familiar with already. It may be something new to you. Maybe you've heard of it, but you don't know that much about it. We'll talk about it a little bit. The thing about topics like the Passover, for instance, is there's so many little threads that you could follow um, away from it, leading up to it, that we could go on for quite some time on the topic of the Passover, but we're going to try to rein it into a reasonable amount of time as we normally do. The Passover involves all the different elements of types and shadows. Uh, it, it involves peoples and things, people and things that are symbolic representations pointing to a greater spiritual truth and reality. And the Passover is an event that, like I say, many are familiar with, at least to some degree. Now, in leading up to the Passover, the nation of Israel has been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they cry out to God for deliverance. God heard the cries of Israel, and he raises up Moses to speak to Pharaoh and lead the nation of Israel out of slavery and eventually into the promised land. Although there's you know a few hiccups along the way, if you know the story. God tells Pharaoh through Moses to let his people go so they can uh, worship him. And God delivering Israel from slavery, there's an important point in that, wasn't only to relieve them from the burden of slavery, but so they might go and worship God. And many things happened before this, after this, and along the way. And today we're looking specifically at the Passover. And the Passover is significant to the Old and New Testament 
for several reasons. Now, leading up to the Passover, you might remember God sent 10 plagues on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let his people go into the wilderness and worship him. And there was all kinds of terrible things that happened. Yeah, there was, you know, the river, the Nile turned to blood. There was frogs. There was hail. There was locusts. <coughs> Excuse me. There was darkness. All kinds of awful things happened. And Pharaoh refuses to relent up until the very last plague. And the final plague was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt, including the animals. After this final plague, Pharaoh finally relents and allows Israel to leave Egypt. Still, even then, he changes his mind and he pursues Israel, which results in the Egyptian army drowning in the Red Sea. It's when Moses parts the Red Sea, the Israelites cross on dry ground, the Egyptian army pursues them, and God drowns them in the Red Sea. Now, this is a very significant time in biblical history very significant event. God rescues Israel from slavery and it's part of God fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham, part of him fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. God promised he would make a great nation out of his descendants. And at this time, the Israelites are quite numerous, but the Passover marks a time when Israel is, they move from being under the rule of the Egyptians and being slaves to becoming a sovereign nation in their own right. And I also see this as a time when Israel begins to live up to the name Israel. And the name Israel means wrestle with God. And as you read from here going forward from the Passover, you see that wrestling with God is a big part of the history of Israel. They do a lot of it. They struggle with obedience, disobedience, wandering in the wilderness, they struggle to enter the promised land. They go in and out of captivity. They have good kings, bad kings. There's always a struggle happening in Israel. And Israel at this time is delivered from their current burdens and the toil of slavery. And the Passover commemorates that. But it also points to a greater deliverance for all people that is still yet to come. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. And we'll read from the book of Exodus today in chapter 12. But before we do that, I want to um, again define what we mean when we talk about types and shadows, because those terms, you know, types and shadows, they can sound a bit cryptic without clear definitions, and they're definitely not meant to be cryptic. Types and shadows in general are symbolic representations that point to a greater spiritual truth or reality. And types are Old Testament persons, things, or events that serve as a pattern or symbol of something in the New Testament. Shadows are Old Testament elements that provide an outline or silhouette of something that becomes more clear in the New Testament. Well, let's read from Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 got your Bible with you, maybe you could uh, follow along, or you are, of course, welcome to just listen. I'm reading from the modern English version. If you're wondering why uh, this might sound a little bit different than the translation you have in your hand. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14 say, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months to you, 
It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a household. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to what each man shall eat. Divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses in which they shall eat. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it at all with water, but roasted with fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, but that of it which remains until the morning you shall burn with fire. In this way, you shall eat it with your waist girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be to you for a sign on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial to you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an eternal ordinance. Well, the Passover is full of symbolism and typology. There's all kinds of things here that we'll talk about. It's a story of freedom. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of divine protection. It points towards... Uh, those same things in the New Testament, freedom from sin, redemption from sin, protection from God. And yeah, they're all types and shadows of what is yet to come in the New Testament. Before delivering Israel from slavery, God implements the Passover feast. And this is one of several feats that commemorate things God has done for Israel. And God says in verse 14, throughout your generations, you shall keep it a feast by an eternal ordinance. And even today, Orthodox Jews faithfully celebrate the feast of Passover in remembrance of God delivering them from slavery in Egypt. Well, I I think that's awesome. I think it's cool that they have kept that ordinance for so long. And it's very closely connected with Easter for, um, yeah, uh, Gentiles. And just in case you're wondering, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And the Passover itself, is a meal of remembrance. God instituted a celebratory feast to help the Israelites remember what he had done for them. And what better way to do that than a feast? Often around holidays, we have um, a special meal that goes along with a holiday. Um, I know many people in their homes do that. And you know that varies from place to place and where you are in the world and what holiday it might be. But we often have a, a special meal that goes along with a holiday to celebrate whatever we're celebrating. And that's that's similar to what the Passover is for the Israelites or the Jewish people. And the Passover meal includes three specific elements, each with its own symbolic significance. There are bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and also a lamb without blemish. And they're all those are all symbolic. They're all significant. And we'll start with the 
the bitter herbs. And in the Passover, they are a symbolic remembrance or a reminder of the bitterness of the Israelites' slavery in Egypt. They represent the hardship and suffering the Israelites endured while slaves in Egypt. And I was curious as to what bitter herbs um, Jewish people use when they keep or practice, would you call it keep or practice? I'm not sure. I guess you'd call it keep the Passover. And I, I Googled it to kind of find out what they used and different Jewish communities use different things. But one of the most common is horseradish, which I found interesting. Um, I remember this, this was a long time ago. This was when my wife and I were still dating. And I had um, my wife, Christine, and I went on, a double date with a friend of mine and a friend of hers. And we went out and my friend and I, you know, we, we'd never had sushi before. This was completely new to us. And these young ladies were taking my friend and I to have some sushi. And, you know, we were a little bit skeptical, which people often are. And by the way, if you are, you should try it before you're too skeptical of it. It's a great, I've loved it ever since. But um, we go to the sushi place and if you eat sushi, you know, they give you wasabi with it, which is like horseradish and it's, it's green and it's just, it's, um, yeah, it it will clear your sinuses if you eat very much of it. And they give us a big ball of wasabi. This was like a sit down place, not like a sushi train, but a sit down restaurant. It was nice. You order it, they make it and they bring it out to your table. And, um, anyway, we get this platter of sushi at our table and, my friend who was with me, he grabs this giant green ball of wasabi. Well, I guess it wasn't giant, but it was big enough. And he says, what's this? And he pops that whole ball of wasabi in his mouth. And he would certainly understand well how horseradish could be an effective reminder of suffering. I can still clearly remember him doing that. And uh, yeah, it was kind of comical. Uh, they tried to stop him, but he was very quick about it. So my friend ended up um, yeah, he would understand well how horseradish could be an effective reminder of suffering. But the bitter use of bitter herbs during the Passover meal serves as a reminder of the suffering that Israelites faced as slaves in Egypt in bondage and suffering. We might make a connection of the suffering that comes with being a slave to sin. Then in verse seven, the Lord tells Moses and Aaron that the Passover meal will also include unleavened bread. And unleavened bread, all that is, is just, just, it's just bread without yeast, bread that hasn't risen, it doesn't have yeast in it. And why bread without yeast? Why does that matter? In this case, for the Passover, it represents haste and redemption. And it, it does, you know, yeast sometimes represents sin in other parts of the Bible. But uh, in this case, it is about haste and redemption. And it, it could also, you know, have, have, represent sin as well, but uh, it's really mostly about what verse 11 says and expounds on that. It says, in this way, you shall eat it with your waist girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Israelites are to eat the Passover meal in haste and ready to travel. They eat it in expectation of deliverance. They've got their, you know, their shoes on their feet, they're, you know, loins are girded up. They've got their walking stick. They're ready to go. And the Passover involves unleavened bread as a reminder of that haste because they didn't have time to let their 
bread rise. This was imminent. That God, you know, God told him, be ready. You're, you're going to leave Egypt. And the urgency is in preparation for immediate deliverance. Now, the final element of the Passover meal was an unblemished lamb, a lamb in its first year of life, uh, which is certainly a symbol of purity and innocence. You know, what's more innocent than uh, a little lamb? It's also a symbol of a perfect sacrifice. And all these elements are significant, but the Passover lamb is especially so. Because with the Passover lamb, they do more than just eat it. They God tells the Israelites to, you know, they all kill this lamb and they take some of the blood of the lamb and they place it on the side post above the door of their houses, which seems strange. And But in verse 13, God explains why. He says, the blood shall be to you for a sign on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The plague will not affect those who are covered by the blood of the lamb. If you've got blood on your doorpost, the plague's gonna pass over you. The Lord will pass over them and they will not suffer the death of the firstborn as those who are not covered by the blood will. And that's why it's called the Passover. The Lord passes over. And that's exactly what happened, just like everywhere else in the Bible. When God says something's gonna happen, it happens. The Lord passed over those who did as he instructed and they did not suffer the final plague in Egypt. And not long after this, the Israelites left Egypt. Pharaoh relented. And, you know, as you can imagine, I would think that everybody was happy to see them go after all these plagues and connecting those with the Israelites. They'd be like, yeah, this, you know, they were really tired of these people being here. And the Bible also tells us that the Israelites plundered the Egyptians for their wealth. And I don't think that was a violent thing at all. I think they just asked for it. And everyone was like, yeah, take whatever you want. Just get out of here. We don't want any more of what's been going on. We don't want any more of these plagues. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, God told Abraham his ancestors would inherit the promised land and then they would also enter into that land with great possessions. So when Israelites leave Egypt with the wealth of Egypt, that's also a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So they, they left with the wealth of the land. Israelites, Israel leaves Egypt behind and then of course, the story of Israel continues on. We read through the rest of the Old Testament. They you know, continue to keep the Passover just as God had given it to them. Um, there may have been times where they fell over on that, but you know, for the most part, as far as we know, they kept it. And then the Old Testament, it eventually comes to a close. And once that happens, there are there's a period of 400 years where there is no new revelation from God. It's 400 years where everything kind of goes quiet. I think it's interesting. I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but you know, it just seems interesting that there was 400 years of slavery and then 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament. But at the end of those 400 years, Jesus is born. And of course, we read about his life and his ministry in the gospels, which ultimately culminate in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's like the, the pinnacle event of scripture. And a very short time before Jesus goes to the cross, he 
gathered the apostles together in the upper room. You may know the story. He gives them the ordinance of communion, or as we often refer to it as Christians, the Lord's Supper. And as Jesus sits down with the apostles in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, when the hour had come, he and the 12 apostles with him sat down. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Um, And, you know, some may not know this, but when Jesus called the apostles together in the upper room, they were actually coming together to celebrate the Passover feast. And, carry on that ordinance that God had given way back in Exodus chapter 12. And the ordinance of communion and the Passover are very closely related. The deliverance of the Passover, you know, from slavery in Egypt points to the greater deliverance uh, from sin in Jesus. And I always find it interesting to think about this as, you know, the apostles as they followed Jesus, as people watched Jesus, followed him around, saw him perform miracles um, as his apostles are sitting around him and he implements communion. I, I always find it interesting to think about the fact that as this is happening, they really don't understand what's going on. This is happening in real time to them. We can look back on the scripture and read it and know what's coming next, but they had no idea what was coming next. They're celebrating the Passover with the one who is the true and perfect Passover lamb. And I don't, you know, it would be so difficult for them to make that connection. And I don't think they really do until after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And as Jesus breaks the bread, the unleavened bread from the, the Passover meal, and he shares the cup with his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me which is very similar to what God said to Aaron and Moses about the Passover. You know, it's an eternal ordinance. I want you to keep doing this. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. God gave Israel the Passover to remember what he had done. And Jesus has given um, Christians communion to remember what he's done. And as the Passover remembers God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, the Lord's Supper remembers the great spiritual truth and reality of Jesus delivering his followers from slavery to sin. And when Jesus implements this ordinance, he uses two specific elements. He uses unleavened bread and scripture tells us the fruit of the vine. And each element represents something very specific and very significant that we are to remember as we partake in communion, as you partake in communion with your church, as I do with mine, This is something that we do in remembrance of Jesus. And the first element is unleavened bread, just like in the Passover, same same thing. Jesus takes the unleavened bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to the apostles and he says, take and eat, this is my body. And I think it's in uh, Corinthians, he says, Paul writes, you know, this is my body that was broken for you. And Jesus uses broken and unleavened bread, bread without yeast as a metaphor to represent his body. Throughout scripture, as I mentioned earlier, yeast is often used as a metaphor for sin. And the unleavened bread, the bread without yeast points to the sinless nature of Jesus. He is innocent 
and unblemished like the Passover lamb. He did not sin. He lived in perfect obedience. And the unleavened bread is also a remembrance of the body of Christ that was broken for us. It's important to remember that Christ not only paid the cost of our redemption in his death, he also paid the price with his suffering. He was beaten, he was tortured in our place. He took the suffering and death that we deserved upon himself so that through him, we might be delivered from the ultimate suffering and death that is punishment for sin. So when you take communion, when you, you know, you, you take that, that bread in your hand, whatever your church uses, it might be a little wafer, whatever it might be. Remember that it represents the sinless and broken body of Jesus. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And when we do that, we want to remember what it represents because it's no small thing. It's a very weighty matter. It's very sacred to do that. And it's important to remember what we hold in our hands represents and uh, to think about that as we partake in our, our local, with our local church. And after Jesus passes the bread, he gives thanks and he gives the cup to his disciples and they all drink from it. And then Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant that is shed for many, which again, that's gonna sound pretty strange. Um, this is my body, this is my blood. And in the Passover, an unblemished lamb was killed. And throughout scripture, there are many verses that point to Jesus as the lamb. In John 129, John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse seven says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And of course, I'm just, you know, taking little pieces and paraphrasing. Um, also, First Peter 1.8 talks about that, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The Israelites marked their doorpost with the blood of the Passover lamb, which signified protection from death. And this foreshadows the blood of Jesus, which covers and saves us from the penalty of sin. And in Egypt, when this plague came, the final plague, the firstborn of those not protected by the blood died. In Exodus 12, 23, the Bible tells us that when the Lord saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he would not prevent the destroyer to enter. Some translations say the angel of death. Um, either way, when the Lord saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over that house and death would not enter that house. And there's something to remember about that because this is very similar to the blood of Jesus as it relates to um, Christians today, during the Passover, when the Lord saw the blood, he didn't go inside the house and interview people. He didn't weigh up how good or bad the people inside the house were. The individuals were protected by the blood of the lamb, not their own merit. And it's important to remember that because the same is still true today. The blood of the lamb in and of itself was enough. And that foreshadows our salvation in Jesus. The blood of Jesus is enough. Jesus is the sinless lamb of God sacrificed for our sin. We are saved by his blood and his blood is enough. So when you take 
that cup in your hand, you know, however your church does it, a lot of churches have different ways of, of doing this. But when you take that cup in your hand, remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for you, the blood of Jesus that was shed for many. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, new covenant, which is poured out for many and a new and everlasting covenant that Jesus established through his death on the cross, a covenant that offers forgiveness of sin and direct access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that covenant is not limited to a small group of people, a specific group of people. It's not limited to a specific race of people, but it is available to all who recognize their need for a savior and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it is limited to those who have done that, to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not just you know something that just automatically applies to everyone. It applies to those who... Uh, trust Jesus, who put their faith in him, who, you know, are covered by his blood. So when you take communion, when you partake with your church, remember that the unleavened bread represents the sinless body of Jesus that was broken. And the cup represents his shed blood that was shed for many as a complete and final sacrifice for sin. So as you do that, you know, how often you do that, Jesus said, you know, do this in remembrance of me. When you do it, there's not really a specific set time for it. But when you do it, it's always important to remember the gravity of it, that it's a sacred thing to take it seriously and to remember what the different elements represent. Well, I hope you, yeah, maybe that gives you some clarity, maybe on some things you didn't understand before. I hope you find that helpful. And I will look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful.